You are listening to the SCC Cast, weekly teaching and preaching from Springview Community Church. Find us on the web at www.springviewcc.org. We are located at 12881 Andersonville Road in Davisburg, Michigan. We welcome you to come as you are to experience a friendly worship setting with biblical preaching, teaching, and application. Now, here's Pastor Ben Glupker. Thank you, musicians, for leading us in that. We some new sound equipment put in this week, and they're... Uh, it's going to be really helpful to us over the long haul, but this morning they're making adjustments and figuring some stuff out, and so we'll, uh, we'll get that squared away, but I'm thankful for uh, uh, just uh, their hard work and dedication to, to leading us in that. It's good to have the opportunity to open God's Word with you again this morning. Uh, turn to Genesis 28. Genesis chapter 28. We are in the third week of a series in Genesis on the life of the man Jacob, a series entitled Struggle and Blessing. Struggle and Blessing. Jacob is is one of the heroes of the Bible. He's one of the patriarchs of God's people. Uh, He'll be remembered for thousands of years. We're talking about him all summer long here. His name will later be changed to Israel. Uh, the name that will be given to God's people, his descendants, God's covenant people. He's one of the heroes of the Bible. And yet, what we've seen about Jacob so far hasn't been very heroic at all. He's a deceiver. He's a manipulator. He's always grasping for some advantage, some way to get, to take for himself, often which should belong to other people. He takes advantage of his brother Esau. Esau is hungry, and instead of saying, sure, I'll share, he says, well, why don't you trade me your valuable birthright, and I'll give you you a little bit of stew. He deceives his father Isaac, lies to him, in order to steal his brother Esau's firstborn blessing. Jacob may be his mother's favorite son, But to his father, he's a liar, and his brother wants him dead. Well, that's where we pick up with Jacob this morning in Genesis 28. See, as our series title suggests, Jacob's future looks like blessing, but his present looks like struggle. His future looks like blessing, but his present is a difficult struggle. We know... If we've read, as most of us have, ahead in the Bible story, we know where his story is going. We, we know from reading ahead that he's going to have many sons, and eventually he's going to come back to the land, and he's, a whole nation of God's people is going to be named for him, but he doesn't know that. Not yet, not here in Genesis 28. That's all uncertain. His whole future is uncertain and unclear. He knows the promises made to his father Isaac and to his grandfather Jacob. He knows that he's supposed to be the heir of those promises. That that from him will be a great nation and innumerable descendants. uh, That he'll get the land of promise that he and his family will be a blessing to all peoples. He knows he's supposed to inherit that promise, that blessing, but he's not living in that blessing yet. Here in Genesis 28, he's living in the struggle. He's living in the difficulty. He's living in hard times. In other words, Jacob is a lot like us. 
He's a lot like us. God has made to his people who are in Christ great and extraordinary promises of blessing. But we haven't inherited all those blessings yet. They can seem far away, unreal even, too good to be true. We're living in the struggle. We live in a world, we, we live in lives marked by sin, suffering, pain, death. What do we need to make it? What do we need to endure through the struggle to the point where we can inherit the promise and the blessing? What do we need to do to not give up on God's promises, to endure the struggle and inherit the blessing? Well, Jacob's story this morning will help us. So let's look at it together. Uh, this morning we're going to focus particularly on Genesis 28, 10 through the end of the chapter, but let's, let's go back a little bit to chapter 27, verse 41, and pick up the context. Genesis 27, 41. This is God's word. Now, Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching, and then I'm going to kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother, in Haran, and stay with him for a while until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you've done to him. Then I'll send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of you both in one day? Then Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. That's the women Esau had married. If Jacob marries one of these Hittite women, like these, one of the women of the land, what good will my life be to me? So then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and directed him, You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. Arise, go to Padanaram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away and he went to Padanaram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padanaram to take a wife from there, and that as he blessed him, he directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women, and that Jacob obeyed his father and mother and gone to Padanaram. So when Esau saw that the Canaanite women didn't please Isaac, his father, Esau went to Ishmael, took as his wife, besides the wives he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. So Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place, and he stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. 
Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid, and he said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone he'd put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me, will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. Let's ask God for his help. Now, Father, we do need you uh, to soften our hearts, to open our eyes, that we would believe every word that you say to us here in your word, that we would trust it, embrace it, obey it, for your glory and our joy in you. Father, we, we need to know the truth that your word tells us about you. And, and Father, as it reveals our own hearts and our own minds, our own motives, our own lives to us, Lord, I pray that your word would work powerfully in us through your spirit right now. Pray that you would give me the right words to say that would communicate that truth faithfully and helpfully. And I pray that you would use it. You'd use your word right now to glorify your son and bless your people. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 28, verse 10 says, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. Leaving the land of Canaan, what will be modern-day Israel, heading north and east toward Syria, toward almost to what is now Iraq. He left Beersheba and went toward Haran. You have to see right from the start how backwards this is, what a reversal this is of the story of Genesis. When God narrows down and begins to work through a specific man, Abraham, what does he call him to do? He calls him, he says, go to a land that I'm going to show you. He's called to believe God's promises, to give him descendants and make him a nation and bless all nations through him. So Abraham believed and went. Abraham left Haran, traveled down, and settled in the Negev, which is now where Beersheba is. Now his grandson's going back. God was bringing this people from Haran down to Beersheba. Grandson Jacob is going back. He's going, he's going the wrong way. Last month we celebrated the anniversary of D-Day, the D-Day invasion of Normandy, and you're no doubt very familiar with that. And uh, it's, Imagine if the, the, the invasion lands and is successful as it was, and they establish a beachhead and begin to move in, and then, then one morning high command back in England wakes up and realizes that the entire expeditionary forces has traveled back to England. And they're like, what, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? Well, we weren't getting along real well over there, and uh, the food's better here, and we decided to turn around and come back to this place. They say, no, no, that's, you missed the entire point. The, other, the entire point was to go there, to cross the channel, to occupy that land and stay there to accomplish the purposes of this mission. 
Well, God's plan and purpose was for Abraham's descendants to leave Haran, travel down to the promised land, occupy it, stay there, claim the promises and accomplish the purposes that God had for them. But Jacob's headed back. He's headed out. He's going in the opposite direction that Abraham had come. Jacob's father Isaac hadn't done this. When, Jake, when Isaac needed a wife, what did Abraham do? He didn't send him out of the land. He called his trusted servant and says, you go back. You go back to the land to bring a wife back for Isaac, which is what he did. Jacob could have done that, or Isaac could have done that too for his son Jacob. He could have sent for a wife, except that this family is so dysfunctional that Jacob's older brother Esau wants to kill him. Jacob has to leave. His life is in danger. Look, this story isn't principally meant to be a lesson on having a harmonious family life, but you have to see that there are lessons here on what not to do as parents. You have to see that in this family and in the story. Isaac and Rebekah, they, they play favorites. They indulge their favorite child. They, they let their children pit mom and dad against each other. They're not, they're not doing a good job of, of instilling spiritual values, knowledge of God in their family. Esau's marrying pagan women outside of God's covenant family. Jacob, at this point, it, it appears, still hasn't claimed Yahweh as his own God. The parents aren't on the same page. They're not working together. This is a good example of a, what not to do as parents. Everyone in this family is playing for their own short-term advantage. At what turns out to be a great long-term cost. It didn't have to be that way. What if they had uh, together embraced their identity as God's people in the land that God was giving to them? What if they had worshipped God together, built their life as a family around accomplishing His purposes for them? What if they had raised their children with love and discipline and honesty and fairness instead of playing favorites? What, what if they'd embraced God's promises and plans and raised their children in light of that? What peace and blessing they might have enjoyed? What wholeness it might have brought to their family? What peace and blessing and wholeness it might bring to our families? to build them around God and His Word and fairness and openness and love, living out His plans for us. We, we want to find and stay in that kind of place as families. But Isaac and Rebecca never built that kind of home. They didn't build that kind of family. They played short-term advantage. They manipulated and deceived, played each other, uh, off each other, and reaped this kind of conflict and this kind of trouble. So now they have one son, Esau, who's still at home. He's still around. But he's got two daughter-in-laws he's brought into the family's life that his parents can't stand. And their other son, Jacob, is, is headed away from the family, out of the land of promise. There's no guarantee he's coming back. So many things could go wrong. It's a big trip. It's over 400 miles one way. Now, that's, that's not a big deal today, 400 miles. My grandparents live in the far end of the UP, closer to 500 miles. I could leave church today and be there by bedtime tonight. But, but in Jacob's day, a 400-mile journey is largely on foot. It's going to take, take at least a month for him to travel there. It's dangerous. He's traveling alone. 
Everything he has, every resource he might need to make the journey, any money that he might have, he's carrying on his person. He's exposed and vulnerable on this journey. Uh, a number of years ago when Kelly and I were in Hawaii, we, we spent a day um, uh, driving around one end of the island, and there's this famous road that travels through all these kind of lush, I don't know if rainforest is the right word, but you travel through this road, all these switchbacks, and you come onto the far end of the island, and when it came time to go back, and it was getting dark, we didn't want to make this crazy road uh, at night, we said, we'll go around this way, it's more of a straight shot. Well, it turns out that along this way, there's just nothing there. You drive for, this might be 50, you're basically driving around the south end of this volcano and there's just nothing there. There's no other cars, there's no towns, there's no convenience stores. You drive for miles and miles and miles and you get out there, way out there like that and all of a sudden there's a car behind us, you know, a couple hundred yards just following us. Of course, there's nowhere else to go, I don't know where he would turn, but after a while you're like, I wonder who that is. And you you just realize, wait, if, if all of a sudden you run into a roadblock with a bunch of Bandits, <laughs> or whatever, right? You go, we, 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 we'd have no, we'd have no chance, right? They'd take, take us for everything they had. You know, we're just out here, vulnerable. Well, Jacob's going to travel for a month on foot, exposed and vulnerable. There's no guarantee he's coming back. Lots of people that made journeys like that never did. There's no certainty that when he gets there, he's going to find the wife he's looking for, that she'll be willing to come back. He's leaving the, his family. He's leaving the land of promise. And as we keep reading in the story, we'll see his struggles uh, are far from over. In the midst of all this turmoil and uncertainty and struggle, he's setting off on his journey. And it says in verse 11, He came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Jacob doesn't know it. He's just stopping because it's dark and there's no good way to travel at night and he's probably tired, but he's come to a special place. He's come to a place that will later, as we see later in the story, will be called Bethel, which means house of God. It is, as it turns out, and as Jacob probably does not know, it's the place that his grandfather Abraham had stopped right as he was coming into the promised land from the other direction. Abraham had built an altar very near this same place. He had worshipped the Lord here in this place. And now his grandson Jacob, the grandson who was the heir of all the promises to Abraham, has come to this place unknowingly too. And Jacob, as we'll see, will encounter God here in this place as well. Look at the middle of verse 11. Taking one of the stones of the place... He put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. And behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached the heavens. Behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. He dreams this dream, and it says three times in there, behold, it's kind of like there's this dream, and look. And he sees three things. First of all, look, a a ladder on the earth with its top in the heavens. Now, whether we should see this as a ladder or a stairway, it's it's hard to know for certain. But but if we had to guess, most likely the terminology here is connected to the, the ziggurats that were built in Babylon. Are you familiar with those? These kind of stepped pyramids and towers and steps would go to the top, and, and the, at the top was sort of the temple place where they would worship the gods. 
big, massive. They've uncovered them. The archaeologists have recovered them uh, in Iraq uh, and uh, the Middle East there. The language is very similar to this. He looks up and sees this ladder, this stairway that goes up to the heavens. In the Genesis story, we've something like this before. You remember back in Genesis chapter 11, the people together together in a place in Shinar, which would be the Middle East, Iraq, that area, and they want to build a tower. They say, whose top is in the heavens, so we can make a name for ourselves. They wanted to build a tower that made it to the heavens, that reached the gods. Here in Jacob's dream, he sees this stairway open up into heaven. It's, it's a way to heaven. It's a way to God. And, and as if to confirm what he sees, secondly, it says, Behold, angels of God ascending and descending on this stairway. God's servants, his, his messengers, uh, back and forth from heaven, traveling, presumably to, to carry out God's plan and accomplish his purposes in the world, and then go back and report to God and, and talk to him about it and receive new orders. Angels are coming up and down this path. And then third, it says, Behold, the Lord stood above it. At the top of the stairway is the Lord himself. Jacob is there. He sees this. God is standing over him. There can be no doubt the heavens have opened. And God is revealing himself to Jacob. Yahweh, the God of his father Isaac and his grandfather Abraham, is revealing himself to Jacob. What's all this for? Why is he doing it? Well, back at the beginning of the chapter, in the first verses of chapter 11, Isaac had sent Jacob off on this journey. Isaac had pronounced a blessing on Jacob, the same blessing that this family was supposed to inherit that goes all the way back to Abraham. But now God is giving that blessing, that promise, directly to Jacob himself. Look at verses 13 and 14. Behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you. To your offspring, your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. You shall be spread abroad to the west and the east and the north and the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God comes and makes directly to Jacob the same promise he'd made to Abraham. The same promise he had repeated to Abraham's son Isaac. Now he repeats to the grandson Jacob. Land, innumerable offspring, a great nation, bless all peoples through you. It's a stunning promise that comes directly from God himself. But it gets better. Look at verse 15. Behold, I am with you and will keep, or we might say guard, I will keep or guard you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. God says, this is what's happening in the midst of your trouble and struggle, in the midst of the uncertainty of this journey and your goal of bringing, getting a wife and bringing her back. He says, I will not leave you. I will guard you, keep you, stay with you until all the promises are true. I'll be with you. How can you know I'll keep my promises? I'll be with you. Look, this isn't the end of Jacob's struggles. He's going to have plenty more, and he's going to cause many of them himself. But something massive and life-changing happens here. God says, in your journeys and in your struggles, I will be with you. That's a game-changer for Jacob. That's a game-changer for anybody. 
in your struggles, in your difficulties, in the conflicts that you do, I will be with you. A week before last, I was reading Psalm 46. And in Psalm 46, let me read just a little bit of it to you. Uh, it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we won't fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. That feels like big trouble. Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Now, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God's in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The world's falling apart. The nations are raging. But the Lord is with us. That's the real issue, isn't it? Is God with us? If he is, that changes everything. No matter the struggle, if God is with us, we're going to be all right. Just this week I read in Psalm 56, he talks about the same sort of thing, the same sort of struggles. What can man do to me? He says, because the Lord is for me. If the Lord is with us and the Lord is for us, oh, struggles may still come, but, well, then there's hope. Sure hope, confident hope. God is with us. God is for us. If he's with us, then no matter the struggle, we're going to be okay. If he's not with us, no matter how secure we think we are, we're not. If God is with us, that changes everything. You know, Moses, Jacob's great, 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 I don't even know how many great grandson, an important leader of God's people himself, he knew the truth of this. We read the passage earlier in Exodus chapter 33. Moses says to God, hey, look, you haven't told me who's going to go with me as I lead this people. This is coming right after Exodus 32, where they, the whole of the, the people have chased after and worshipped the, the golden calves that Aaron made. And, and Moses says to him, these people are stiff-necked, they're sinful, rebellious. Who's going to go with me to lead these people? God says, I'll go with you. My presence will be with you. And Moses says to him, look, if, if your presence doesn't go with us, if you're not going to go, don't send us away from here. There at Mount Sinai, where God's presence has come down in fire, thunder, lightning, earthquake on the mountain, God's presence has been very clear. And Moses says, hey, we're not leaving if you're not going with us. If you don't go with us, he says, how, how will people know that I'm, I'm lead, the leader of your people? How will we know that these are your people if you don't go with us? Well, it's, it's as though that's a mark of God's people. A mark of God's people is God is with them. He said, no, you, you must go with us. And God's presence did. They would set up the tabernacle, the place where God's presence was in the Holy of Holies at the Ark of the Covenant. They would set that up as it was set up initially there at Sinai. And when God would, in the presence of God would, would dwell over the tabernacle in a cloud during the day. Is God with us? Yes. We see it. And at night, that cloud would become fire. Is God with us? Yeah, I can see it. He sees here. And when it came time to move the camp, the cloud would rise. And the people would pack up their tents, and the Levites would pack up and take down the tabernacle, and the cloud would move, and the people would follow along to wherever it went. And when it got to wherever it was going to stop, they would set up camp, and they would put the tab build the tabernacle in the middle and the tents of the various tribes around the perimeter of, of the tabernacle itself. And as long as it stayed, the cloud stayed there, God's presence stayed there, they would stay there. It might stay a day, it 
They might move again the next day. They might move next week. They might stay for a year, however long God wanted to stay there, wanted them to stay there. His presence would mark it. But when his presence would go up and move, and the camp would pack up and prepare to leave, every time they would go to move, Moses would cry out this, Arise, O Lord, let your enemies be scattered. Let those who hate you flee before you. And the people would move. And they'd follow it along. And eventually it would stop. And they'd set up camp again. And when it set up camp again, Moses would cry out, Return, O Lord, to the ten thousand thousands of Israel. God, we need you with us. We need your presence. Return. God's presence marks God's people. Gives them hope. Gives them confidence. Whether you're struggling with a broken down family life like Jacob is, whether you're wandering in the wilderness like Moses and the children of Israel were, well, God's with us. God's with us. He's made us promises. If God is with us, it's going to be okay. Moses had said to God on Mount Sinai, look, look, we're, we're nothing as a people if you're not with us. We're nothing as a people if you don't keep your presence with us. The opposite, though, is true also. The people who have God with them have everything. Everything they need if God is with them. Even in the midst of struggle. Even in the midst of a hard journey with an uncertain outcome. Even in the midst of trials and tribulations. Disappointments and sorrows. If God is with us, we have everything we need. The people who have God with them don't need to lose hope. The people who have God's presence and promises have a sure and rock-solid future. So Jacob awakens from the dream, and it's, it's changed him. A real encounter with God always does. It's changed him. He's always been a grasper, a striver, reaching for any advantage, anything he can get to put himself ahead, anything he thinks he deserves. And mostly it's brought him trouble. But here Jacob encounters what he really needs, and that's grace grace. He doesn't deserve this promise of blessing. God isn't required to give it to him. Jacob isn't entitled to it. We could think of lots of reasons that God might pass Jacob by and give these promises and blessings to somebody else. But that's not how grace works. Grace is always gift. Always undeserving gift. And sometimes, maybe most of the time, we need life to hit us hard to realize how much we need grace. We need life to, to hit us hard or we'll think that, nah, I just need to strive. I need to grasp. I need to get what I can in my own cleverness, in my own power, in my own strength. Now, we, we, we got to get hit hard usually before we realize how badly we need grace. We have to come to the end of our own plans, our own pretensions, our own grasping before we can receive from God what, what really only He can give to us. Jacob realizes this. He realizes what a special place this is, that he's met with God and says he's afraid. It says in verse 17, how, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And he responds appropriately with worship. In verse 18, it says, early in the morning, Jacob took the stone he'd put under his head and he set it up for a pillar, a monument, if you will. He poured oil on the top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, which means house of God, but, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. This is, God has met me here. 
This is, he says, this is a holy place. Of course, Jacob, his grandfather, had, had gone there as well. And we'll see several chapters down the road when, when Jacob finally does come back to the promised land, he'll come back to Bethel and he'll worship God again there, the place where God had appeared to him in the first place. And we'll see that God will make the same promises back to him again 20 years later. God is faithful and been with him. He responds appropriately with worship to God's promise of presence and blessing. And then, then he seals his commitment to God with a vow. Verse 20, Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me, he'll keep me in this way that I go, will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord will be my God. This stone which I've set up for a pillar shall be God's house and of all that you give me, I'll give a full tenth to you. His vow is rooted in God's grace to him. He says, God, if you do, and he repeats basically what God has just told him he will do. God, if you will do what you've said you will do, you'll be my God. I'll give you a tenth. I'm committing myself to you if you'll do what you've promised to do to me. Jacob's beginning to understand grace. He's beginning to understand. Right now, as he lies there on the ground, he doesn't really have anything. To look at him, you wouldn't make wager much on his future success. But he does have a promise from God, I'll be with you. And I won't leave, I won't leave you until I've done everything I promised I would do. That's the greatest blessing anyone could ever receive. God sure promised I will stay with you and accomplish all of my good plans and purposes in your life. Jacob's struggles aren't over. He still has a long and difficult road ahead of him, but he's not alone. God's presence assures fulfillment of the promise. So, as we finish this morning, what, what does Jacob's story have to say about our story? What is it? tell us. Turn to John chapter 1. We'll, we'll finish up there. John chapter 1. In John, in John's gospel, which is of course about Jesus, he talks about Jesus, the, the word of God becoming flesh. And this is what he says in John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt, literally tabernacled, like Israel in the Old Testament, the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. We've seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John is saying the Word of God, the very Son of God, has taken on human flesh. And just like Israel in the Old Testament, where God's presence was there in a tent, He's come and taken on, if you will, a tent Himself. He's come to live among us in the person of Jesus Christ. God with us. Matthew will make that clear. He called his name Emmanuel, he said, quoting Isaiah 7, which means God with us. God has come to tabernacle among us to bring his presence. Where is God? In the person of Jesus Christ, God has come here to live among us. And so it's remarkable, we get to the end of John 1. Look over to John 1 in verse 43. Jesus has come he has been baptized by John the Baptist, and the voice from heaven, this is my beloved son, God says, in whom I'm well pleased, and the Spirit has descended on him. Jesus is calling disciples, and in chapter 1, verse um, 43, uh, 
uh, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. So Jesus saw Nathanael coming before toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Now, that's interesting. You remember the man Israel in the Old Testament, Jacob, our, our man here this morning, a man in whom was much deceit. Jesus says, well, look, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? Jesus answered him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? Oh, you'll see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man, talking about himself. He hearkens right back to the story of Jacob in Genesis 28. He says, look, you're going to see something greater, greater than that. You're going to see the heavens opened, the angels of God ascending and descending. In Genesis 28, they're descending and ascending on what? A stairway. Jesus says, you're going to see him ascending and descending now on me. The way to God has been opened up. There's a new path. And it's not at a special place called Bethel that occurs at a special time in a special dream to a particular person. No, no, now God's man has come and tabernacled among us. And he has opened up in this person, and only in this person, and in this way, the way to God. The way to God is through God's Son, Jesus Christ. He said, you see greater things than these. In Jesus, in his life and ministry, he's saying to Nathaniel, you're going to see God. God with us. Of course, if we were to read all the way through to the end of John's gospel, we'd see that the culmination of that is Jesus, the Son of God, God with us, going to a cross, dying an undeserved death, taking the punishment, undeserved punishment for sin, that you and I deserve to carry. He dies the death we deserve to die so that we might be with him and he with us forever. There's only one way, and it's through Jesus himself, through faith in him, trust in him, not by grasping and striving, not even grasping and striving for God, but rather receiving God's promise and blessing through grace. Let me give you one more thing real quickly. Turn over to Hebrews 13. This really will be the last place we go. Hebrews 13. One more application to think about in regard to this passage. In Hebrews 13, the writer's talking about a number of ways in which we live in holiness and honor God. Look what he says in Hebrews 13.5. He says, Hebrews 13.5, keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I won't fear. What can man do to me? Now, now what's going on there, right? Here's a problem, right? Keep your life free from the love of money. Well, why? And, and the reason is not probably where we would usually go. But he says, keep your life free from the love of money because I'm never going to leave you. 
Be content with what you have because I will never forsake you. You don't need to strive and grasp. You don't need to struggle to get as much as you can. You don't need to love money. You can be content because, he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. In other words, I will always make sure you have what you need. So, the Lord is my helper, we can confidently say, I'm not going to fear. What can man do to me? You and I will be tempted this week. We will be tempted this week to worry. We will be tempted to be discontent. I need to have more. I need to get more. Or I need to be anxious and concerned that I get more or don't lose what I have. Or We will be tempted to worry and be anxious and struggle, uh, perhaps tempted even to do things that cut corners ethically or biblically to try to ensure our future, where, where God says, you, you don't, the Lord is with you, and he will never forsake you. He's your helper. What, what, what can anybody do to you if God is with you? That's the big question. Is God with us, and is he for us? And on the cross, the question is answered, God is with us, and he is for us. When we put our faith and trust in his son, what, the Lord is our helper. We don't need to fear. What can man do to us? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the promises that you've made to us in Christ. Lord, we, most of the time, what looms large in our minds and hearts and eyes is the struggles we have, the, the uncertainties, the anxieties, the conflicts, the the worries that we do not or will not have what we need, that we won't be ultimately happy and joyful. So, Father, I pray that you would help us, I pray you'd help me to, to look ahead, to look, as it were, over and beyond the struggles and see the promise, the glorious promise that you've made to your children, that in Christ we have waiting for us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, that, that we can't see or imagine the glories of what you've prepared for us, your children. And I pray that would give us strength to endure. It would give us patience to wait, to be still before you, not to strive and grasp or try to make things happen or force things to happen or, or reach out to always try to get what's ours, but rather we would be free of the love of money, free of the fear and anxiety that brings with great confidence that you are with us, accomplishing your good purposes, and that you will someday bring us home. Father, maybe, maybe someone is here this morning who has never really put their faith in your son, Jesus. They, they've, perhaps they've ignored you. Perhaps they haven't ignored you, but they've just they've strived and thought, if I work hard, if I do my best, then, then God will have me and be with me. Father, I pray this morning they'd see that what they need is, is actually grace. They need to receive your gift. Father, I pray that we would trust deeply in you. We would have great confidence of your presence. I pray this week as we go about our week, we would see you working, see you providing for us, leading us, guiding us, and protecting us in ways that would encourage and strengthen our faith. Help us deal with and endure through difficulties and struggles and anxieties and fears and that we would honor you as we wait for the fulfillment of your great promises in Christ. Lord, may it be soon. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, I want to thank you for coming this morning. It's been good to be here with you. Let me send you out with these words of benediction from Philippians 4, where we are encouraged and reminded, Philippians 4.19, that my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And may we go with this week in confidence that God will supply all of our needs. God bless you. Have a great week.